1: In his film, Handsome Devil, Irish writer-director John Butler urges young people to find their own voice. The movie follows the lives of Irish schoolmates Ned and Connor as they are forced to share a bedroom at their boarding school. One is a music-loving loner, the other a popular rugby star. But the film transcends classroom drama as it explores the characters' sexual identities. We spoke with Butler about the personal origins of Handsome Devil, the distinction between autobiography and emotional truth, and the importance of exercise, or anchor fitness, as a writer and creative. In addition to the audio format of this interview, the print interview is available on Creative Screenwriting Magazine's website. Uh, based on my own school days,
0: actually. Um, I went like to... a. Uh a fee-paying rugby playing school like the one in the film and uh, I was really into sport and I'm also gay and I found those things very hard to reconcile as an old man and so Point of Origin was kind of that but it's not really um, autobiographical I would say because and it's certainly not a period film because um, you know it's a story about trying to be true to yourself and if you look around the world of professional sports now like there's no out premiership soccer player and there's no Professional rugby union player, that's out, and it's just very rare in male team sports to have out um, LGBT characters. So people are still obviously feeling that there's some kind of choice that they have to make about that. So you know, it's based on my own childhood, but it was certainly, I think, has something to
1: say. Do you think things are basically still the same way in in those schools?
0: Uh, no, I think that changing people, um, you know, there's still a, a lot more work to do in that area. I think, usually, when you live in a city or you're in your 40s or you're kind of working in the liberal arts to think that the battle has kind of been won and that everything is fine, but it's still incredibly shit to be an LGBT kid anywhere in the world. It's a very hard world to be LGBT in, so, you know, people always say it gets better, but I think the point is that it shouldn't have to get better when you're older. It should get better when you're young because that's when you need the most support um, because that's when you're at your most vulnerable, you know.
1: It seems like there's kind of um, two types of kids as far as, like, extracurricular activities. It's those who's interested in music and those interested in rugby in this school. Um, how did you go about defining those two roles?
0: Well, they were both me. You know, um, You know, the world isn't black and white, but very often when you're young, it feels like it is, you know, like you can be the jock or you can be the music guy. Um, you know, I, I was kind of interested in all of those things as a kid, and But like I said, I thought you had to choose, you know, I thought you had to be one thing or the other. And, you know, the point of this film is that don't actually, you know, you can play guitar and be an incredibly kind of physical rugby player. um, Or you can act and be really good at soccer, you know, or you can be gay and be really good at, you know, American football um, or basketball. Like it's not, we're not binary creatures, you know, we like a little bit of everything. And the most important thing is to be kind of, you know, true to yourself, I would say.
1: So the film presents a very serious message, but it still got a lot of comedy throughout. What were some of the comedic influences for this film?
0: Uh, John Hughes was a big one. Um, so I grew up on his films, and I absolutely loved them. But if you watch them now, it's a kind of, there's some sexism and homophobia in those films that are kind of hard to stomach. So for me, it was kind of important to update that uh, type of genre of film. Um, but I, he was a comedy genius, and... Uh, the films are always so warm, and that's something I always uh, appreciated. Um, I also really liked Alexander Payne's film, Election. I love the seriousness of the high school election in that film, and I always felt like I wanted to try and do something about the rugby in this school that was similarly ridiculously furious, you know. So I suppose those two were touchstones in comedy terms.
1: The teacher, Mr. Sherry, who's played by Andrew Scott, makes a very big impression right from the beginning. How important is it to introduce a pivotal character like this with such force?
0: That's a function of the job of teachers, which is to kids have to be brought to heel, and they have to be broken, you know. So, in your first day as a teacher, the stakes are incredibly high. When you walk into that room, you either get your respect early, or you don't get it at all, you know. Um, Andrew's mother is a teacher, and uh, he he and I spoke about it a lot. And he said that her motto was "no smiling before Christmas," <laughs> which is to say. You don't give them anything until you have them under your control, uh, and that sounds really brutal. But kids are, you know, that's <laughs> it's the jungle out there. So uh, I think that was the importance of that scene, and that's why it was written to be a real performative kind of uh, moment, you know.
1: So you're the writer and director on this film. Did you tell us a little bit about the logistics between the time you spent writing and then if you were rewriting on set or even collaborating with the actors as well?
0: Yeah, there wasn't much rewriting. I would say um, the script was in. Uh, working order by the time they walk out to the set. But what you're doing then is um, maybe if an actor has a different way of doing the same thing, then you're always going to listen to. Or you're going to listen to anybody's input if you're smart, you know. And all the actors in this film are really good. So the idea is always to offer flexibility within the structure, but the structure remains and it has to. And um, so. There were moments of improv with all of the actors, and they were great and invariably improved the scene, but I would say that the structure that lies behind them was always the same. Um well not a rewriter on set. I don't uh, don't really love that. Uh, apart from anything else, this is a low-budget film, so you're, you have an incredibly tight schedule, and the idea of rewriting scenes behind the monitor while the crew are standing around is one that I think would make the producers faint.
1: What was your time frame like, writing a script and then filming as well?
0: The script probably took two years, you know, with breaks, but like from beginning to end, probably about two years. I'd say it took about nine months to outline, and then about another nine months of writing a draft and putting it away and getting notes and then going back again. Uh, And then the shoot itself was 25 days, uh, and four of those days were rugby, so it was 21 days, and then the the sports match at the end of the film. So it was a very tight... uh, very tight shoes, and and like I said, then that's where the discipline in writing becomes so important and so valuable.
1: You know. So when Mister Sherry first arrives, one of the insi- assignments he gives, he tells them, uh, "It's a, it's they're considered a boring assignment." He says, "Owns the du- own the dullness, reveal to me who you are if you dare." Can you elaborate a little bit more about that and why he chose that assignment the first day?
0: The scariest thing in the world when you're young is to is to kind of. Say who, you, say who you are in the clearest terms and you know that's kind of um, I think a big challenge for all of us you know um, it's a job of a lifetime just to kind of find your voice and privately say that that's who you are um, so I think the fact that he puts that on the table on the first day is like throwing down the gauntlet to, to them and kind of saying to them you know we're not just going to be learning poems off by heart here you know you uh, school and education in English classes they have more value than that um, that's certainly in the case uh, in my school days my English teacher cracked us open like eggs you know he he made us see that language is not just something like physics that you just study and learn and regurgitate but that that's something that binds you and that gives your life shape and colour and meaning you know so that's the most important lesson you can learn in school no matter who you are and I think it's uh laid down, like I say, the gauntlet is put down on the first day, but it's not until the end of the film that the challenge is really accepted and risen to. And, you know, in that essay, which reminds the story, comes to, comes to life. So that, that's kind of the spine of the film, I think.
1: Finding your own voice is also a common problem with writers. Um, there's a, you know, especially in screenwriting, there's an urge to write what's popular today. How can you uh, give some advice or encourage writers to find their own voice?
0: Yeah, I think The the distinction (laughs) that might need to be made very often is between your own voice and your own story, you know. I'm an advocate of, like, direct autobiography, necessarily, you know. We haven't all lived, like, really fascinating lives, so the facts of my life are different to the facts of this story, but the the heart, the emotional truth uh, of the characters is mine, is, is, is real in that sense, so... I think maybe my advice would be, even if you're writing a spy movie or a movie that's set in a galaxy m- m- millions of years away, people in it and the feelings in it have to be yours. Um, and that's what you're trying to get at as a writer. you know not not all of us know what it's like to be you know a circus tamer, for example, but we all know what it's like to feel lonely and scared, so I think the job is to try and make sure that you're in every character as you write them.
1: For writers who want to get their own original stories made, do you encourage them to also be a director or an actor or something where they're more than just a writer?
0: Only if you want to, I think. Um, I've always wanted to direct and I've always directed since I was 20. I've been directing things, uh, some of which I've written, some of which other people have written. If it's in you to do it, then I would do it because obviously then you get control over how your story is executed and you also get the great joy of working with actors and bringing the whole thing to life so yeah if it's something that you like to do then go for it but I wouldn't say it's totally necessary if you're not interested in being a director what you need to do is find directors who are sabbatical you know um, and make that your life's work um, because it's perfectly obviously valid to be just a writer but um, you know I I, I I loved Moonlight so much last year and uh, obviously um, that was something in which the writer didn't direct and the director didn't write uh, necessarily so it. And it's still incredibly personal and beautiful. So I think there's there's great fruit in, in that collaborative relationship. So it can be it can be beautiful. You know, um, I think it's all about what you need and what you want.
1: What did you find to be the most difficult step on writing this film?
0: In the writing process, I'm not sure. Um, maybe it's always, it's always hard to tell you. This is a film where in which the kid, the athlete, is gay. You know, and. In writing it, it was always hard to maybe bear in mind that that's not a big piece of information that needs to be withheld from the audience, you know. Um, people aren't going to know this is the film with the gay kid. It so the important thing is always to remember what, it, what, what is yours to hold on to and what isn't, you know. People walking into the cinema are going to know that and devil is a better gay kid, gay rugby player. So the difficult thing for me maybe was, excuse me, in remembering that, and remembering that that wasn't mine to hold on to, that that was going to be public knowledge because... You have posters, and you have trainers, and you have reviews, and they always give away everything anyway. So you kind of free yourself up from that idea, you know. I'm not writing The Sixth Sense, you know. It's not a, a film in which the big reveal is going to be like, oh my God, you know. So uh, maybe that was the most important thing to remember.
1: Where do you think novice writers waste time in the beginning of their careers, and how could they avoid that?
0: I'm not writing truthfully, maybe. I'm writing like other people. That's the, you know, uh, too many, too many pastiches. You know, too many things. And I'm obviously guilty of this as anybody, but writing in the style of other people. Um, you know, your own voice is the is the most important thing you have, and it's the only thing that's unique. So, um, I think the earlier you can get into that onto that track of trying to discover what your voice is and putting that out into the world, and the, the more successful and happy you'll be.
1: When you're writing a personal story like this, is there any point where it's therapeutic uh, to put it on the page?
0: Yeah, writing is free therapy always. Um, and if you're not feeling that, then you're not doing it in the right way. <laughs> um, if, you're, if you're writing well, you should feel exposed and vulnerable, and it should feel like you're giving something away, just like you do in therapy. So, yeah, I completely agree. Um, if it's good, if it's working in any way, then it should be therapeutic. And if it's not therapeutic, then you're not doing it right.
1: Can you tell us a little bit more about the logistics of your writing process? Like, do you write at a certain time of day or certain days of the week, things like that?
0: I swim in the mornings uh, and and I usually think about what I'm writing while I'm swimming up and down the pool. I usually get some ideas about how to fix it. And then after that, I'm at the desk for about five hours, I would say. Um, you know, from like ten until four or five, maybe, uh, with a break for lunch. And that's kind of it when I'm writing. Uh, that's when I'm outlining, which is the most intense part of the work. Um, I write outlines before I write scripts and they take all the work. So. Once the outline is there. I'm kind of, uh, I'm in a good place to write the script, and it doesn't take that long at all. But um, yeah, that's kind of my routine. It's evolved over the years, but that's the shape it's taken now.
1: I've heard a lot of uh, writers, and then also like productivity type people, talk about having an anchor of fitness in the morning. Do you find that that really balances out your day to write and get other things done as well?
0: Yeah, the swimming is, is really important. You're, your writing is solitary, and you're also sitting in a in a bad position, so. Swimming in the morning is, is a vital part of the routine. It, should, it feels like part of the work in a way. It's not wasting time. It's a very important uh, aspect of it. I'm also taking really long walks. I think it's great for just turning things over in your head and getting clarity. Gets the blood flowing, you know.
1: When you're writing a script, do you always write with the direction in mind? Like, Do you write the details out as far as how the scene looks and things like that?
0: Yeah, well, the the, the job of uh, of a screenwriter is to write the story in a way where you understand what's happening at every single moment. I think so. If that involves the way the camera moves, or you know, um, the way somebody dresses, or whether well, there's a piece of music in the scene, then that has to go in the story. I think. But if it isn't vital to the story, if you don't need it to understand, then it shouldn't be there. So, you know, I think that's an important thing to bear in mind. Like, you don't want acres of direction in a script where it scarcely is needed you need to give the bare bones um, in order to make the story understandable
1: How did you go about choosing some of the music for this film?
0: Um, it's just what I wanted it to be reflective of Ned's state of mind you know all the audio elements in the film are based on Ned's mind you know the voiceover is his obviously interior dealings and the music is based on his kind of mistaken idea that the modern life is rubbish and that the past was a better place you know so I wanted the music to have that kind of slightly evocative uh, feel of coming from the 80s which you know is to Ned is like a perfect time but which we know isn't um so we were based on that and some of these bands were bands that I was very into as a kid so it was kind of a joyful thing but it, you know we had a very low budget for the film so it involved writing a lot of letters to the artists and you know, some of them were very generous with their, with their
1: songs. Where did the title come from, Handsome Devil?
0: There's two answers. I mean, there's a song by the Smiths called Handsome Devil, uh, and it comes maybe from that. I'm a big fan of their music, but also I like the idea of it being about masculine allure, and, you know, there's a lot of handsome devils in this film that are kind of persuading each other to do the wrong thing and to behave in the wrong way. So I liked that it had a slightly um, seductive quality to it.
1: Thank you so much for tuning into the show before you leave don't forget to sign up for the weekly newsletter where you also get free access to the freelancer course master the freelancer mindset this system will teach you exactly how to find clients online which includes step one the psychology of the mindset step two how to create a killer profile and step three how to find quality clients this online course is valued at 99 dollars it can be yours for free in addition to the free course, you will get access to the ebook How Hollywood Screenwriters Annihilate Writer's Block. This contains advice from Aaron Sorkin, Carrie Fukunaga, and William Monahan. You can find all of this and more on creativeprinciples.live. Visit the website for new interviews, articles, and the daily blog. That's creativeprinciples.live.